Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to see how we are to live in this, through these verses and guide and lead us in all that we see in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 23. We're getting ready to look at a long section where Jesus is criticizing the scribes and Pharisees and uh, getting a good look at why he was so upset with them in many cases. So starting at verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, and observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay, on them, lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move with them one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, and make broad their phylacteries, and enlarge their borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feast, and the chief seats of the synagogue, and greetings in the market, markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but will... But be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all that are brethren. And, no, and call no man father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be you called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is the greatest among you shall be the servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. All right. Probably enough there to keep us busy for the rest of the night. So... Uh, Jesus is talking to the multitude, and it says specifically his, and also to his disciples. And he starts out and says, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And this may or may not make sense to you, but Moses' seat in, in Exodus 18, 13 was where Moses was shown to sit each day and judge the people. So in other words, he's saying they're acting like judges. And if you remember the story in Exodus 18, uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to him and says, Moses, you're, you're wearying yourself and you're wearying the people because you're making all three and a half million of them stand in front of you every day to, to make decisions or as many as need, needs a decision. And you're making, you're the only one. Go find other people who can be judges and you take the hard cases. So Moses sat in what we would consider the Supreme Court. If you didn't like the other decision, you would go up the chain of courts until you got to Moses. And if Moses made a decision, it was final. And that later on became Aaron's position uh, as they started with the tabernacle and, and Aaron's uh, descendants after that. And now we've got the scribes and Pharisees saying, that's our job. We're going to be judges of the people. And the, Jesus said, the scribes and Pharisees think they're something. They're not even a priest, and they're saying they're going to be the ones <laughs> making these judgments. And we want to be very careful about this because we tend to want to judge people a lot of times as humans and judge other people, and that's not what we're supposed to do anyway. And he says, you know, they're sitting in Moses' seat. They think there's something special, and we're going to see how, he's, how special they think they are. Uh, verse 3 says, all the... All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe and, and observe to do, but do not after their works, for they say and do not. And actually he's saying they're not bad on what they're teaching you. They're teaching you God's word. A little heavy he's going to tell us later on, but there, he says they, they say the right things, they, and you should listen to what they're saying, but don't be like them. And you think about little things like, 
they were willing to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver to, to uh, Judas Iscariot, but when he wanted to return the money, they wouldn't take back the money. They were willing to pay for Jesus' death, but they weren't willing to say, okay, we'll take the money back. And this was the way they would do things, and we're going to see this all through this section. They would make little errors, uh, avoid little errors, but make huge errors. And that happened over and over with them. They would do things like, if you remember back a while ago, we talked about them saying, Father and Mother, I want to give you something, but I've, all, all my possessions are, are Corbin or dedicated to God, so that on my death they go into the temple. And during that period of time, they'd use it for wherever they want. They could have given it to their parents. It wouldn't have been a problem. But they decided, well, God, uh, Mom and Dad, I just don't want to give it to you, so uh, all, my, all my money is, all, all, everything I own is dedicated to God, so you can't have any. And they would, you know, not honor their parents. And so he's saying, don't act the way they act. Listen to what they teach, because they were teaching correctly. And I've heard, I've heard teachers at times that teach you the right things, but when you look at their life and the lives of people around them, and they're not, they don't live out what's being taught. You listen to what they say, and it's not bad, but there's no life behind what they're teaching. And, they're, and it doesn't take you long to realize whether somebody's talking out both sides of their mouth. You know, do this and they're doing something else. And this is what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. They're telling you the right things, but they don't live, they're not living correctly. And this is a huge issue that, that is being addressed by Jesus in this. He wanted his followers to follow after God with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because that's what was, that was what we're called to do. Follow God with all of our thinking. Follow him with everything that we feel. Follow him with all that we do. And every bit of our being is to follow him. And if you do it that way, you're going to be okay. Even if you go off the wrong way, you're still doing it with the right motives, and God's going to say, okay, let me, let me steer you back on the path a little bit. You got a little bit off. You did it full-heartedly. You did it with all the right intentions. Now let's bring you back. The scribes and Pharisees would have gotten after you. You left the path, even though they left the path all the time. And they made all kinds of loopholes in the laws that they could say, okay, we're honoring God, you know, as they aren't honoring him. You know, the whole pattern when they go, is it, you know, they talked about Jesus, is it lawful to get rid of your wife for any reason? Because that's what one of the rabbis was teaching, that if you didn't like your wife, you divorced her. And Jesus said, well, in the beginning, God created man and, man and woman to be one flesh, not, you know, not to be separated. And so he goes, no, it's not, basically. <laughs> and quit trying to make excuses. And human beings do this all the time. We like to make excuses for our behavior. And every one of us is real good at seeing other people's problems and not necessarily seeing our problems. And it's just human nature. And usually the things we get most upset at other people are the things that we don't like about ourselves or that we're not observing about ourselves. Have you ever noticed that you get really angry and if you start thinking about it, you go, oh, you know, I, I do the same thing. Now, uh, we oftentimes will get mad at our children because they act just like the things we don't like about ourselves. And kids tend to get the things we don't like about ourselves and, and, and do them. And it makes, us, it makes us sad, number one, because we know how far it takes us away and we don't want them to do it, but it also irritates us to see ourselves reflected in them. And this is not a good thing you know, to have. And Jesus is saying, you know, 
do what they say and uh, do what they're saying, but don't do as they do. If you're telling somebody do what I say and not as I do, you're you're being a bad example, and it says your actions you know speak louder than your words, and people are going to act the way you act. You know they're you know uh, reciprocation. If you're always angry with people, they're going to be angry back at you. If you're loving with people, they tend to be loving back at you. Uh, and it's it is a true fact. You know, the way you the way you approach people is usually what you get when you do customer service, you're taught to be kind to people, and usually that will diffuse the situation. Even when inside you're, you're churning and wanting to smack them upside the head, you're to be kind to them, and usually it will pull them down and, and off the intensity of their ang anger. But there also have to, has to be a realness about it. You can't just be saying the words with no feeling or, or reality behind them. Have you ever been talking to somebody and it's obvious they don't believe a word that they're saying? They're trying to be nice and you know every word is, is dripping with bitterness and hatred and they're trying to, they're saying all the nice words and right words, but the attitude behind it is, you know, a frigid or an anger and you just go, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and, uh, we, we want to be careful with that. And Jesus goes on in verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them upon men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one fingers, <laughs> any of their fingers. He goes, they're putting huge loads upon you that are hard to bear. And you know, this is the law of God. The law of God is a heavy burden to be put on people. 613 commands the Jewish rabbis tell us. And I believe then there's a lot there. Yeah. And if you try to obey the law, you cannot obey the law. You just cannot. And it says they would just pile it on. And pile it on. And pile it on. Huh? We have trouble with 10. We can't obey the 10, much less the 613. But... Have you ever been in a place where, where, where you're having troubles and somebody just piles more burdens upon you? Well, this is what, the Jews, what Jesus was saying the scribes and the Pharisees did. You already can't, can't do it, so they're, they're going to give you more stuff to make you feel bad. And this is a place where grace and mercy is important for us. Abiding under the grace of God is so wonderful because it gives us freedom. It lifts off the burdens of the law because Jesus paid the debt of law. He paid for all the, all, the, all, the, all the law. That does not mean the law is worthless and we can just go out and do whatever we want. And we've talked about that several times. Because when we have Christ in us, our desire will then be to follow his rules. Not because I'm trying to get brownie points with God, but because I love him so much, I want to do what he's wanting me to do, and he's changing who I am on the inside. But we do it not because we say we have to. We do it because we want to. And there's a huge difference between the two. The scribes and Pharisees kept putting on, these are your rules you must follow. And they, they had 613 in the Bible, and then there's a whole bunch beyond that. I've shared with you, I went to a Jewish synagogue one time, and I picked up a booklet on... I thought it was a Bible in the pew, and I started thumbing through it, and it was, it was interpretations of all the rules. And I said, you know, you can do this, you can't do this, you can do this. You know, it was like, uh, you know, 
You, in your kitchen to prepare for Sabbath, you, if you wanted to open up any of the cabinets, you had to open them up before the sunset and, and leave them open. If you wanted to have a bottle of soda, you had to open the soda before sunset. You could rescrew the lid back on, but if you had to break the seal, it was work. Yeah. Then this is how specific their rules get, and that's what Jesus says. You keep piling things on, and you're not even following all these things, and you're piling more rules on everybody. And this is really what happens when you're in a legalistic system of, of whether it's Judaism or Christianity or any other thing, more and more rules get put on you because more and more people are trying to define what exactly it is. When you're starting to involve yourself with all these rules, more rules get added on. And even in Christian churches that are based upon trying to obey rules, it's and rather than grace, they do the same thing. And they go, well, we don't like this action, so this, you can't do that anymore. You know, for years, Christians couldn't go to the movies, couldn't go to dances, couldn't play cards. You know, women couldn't wear pants uh, or makeup, and men you know, were, were to keep short hair, all these things, and these were their rules to, to be righteous. And maybe we're going too far the other way with, you know, with no idea of rules, but you know, the idea is we're answerable before God and his grace. And God will put enough things on you. When you start walking with him, he'll put things on you as an individual saying, I want you to grow in this area and do or not do certain things. After 40-some years of um, walking with God, there's things that he's told me I can't do. And because of the principles I understand in the Bible, so I don't do them. Now, does that mean everybody must do the same things I do? Absolutely not, because they're the things God has taught me through many years of walking with him. And he's going to be teaching you all things that you can and can't do as you walk with him. And I'm, my job is not to judge you or you to judge me for what I can or can't do or you can or can't do because you stand or fall before God. You know, he is our master. He is our Lord. He is our ruler. We stand or fall before him, not, not each other. Now, does that mean there are certain things that, that we should do or not do? Yes, probably, because we do have a testimony before the world. And, you know, the world judges us harder even than most Christians judge each other. And Christians can be brutal on each other, but the world can get really, you know, it's kind of amazing when you start talking to non-Christians how really strange some of the things they, they believe are. You know, they believe Christians are, per are supposed to be perfect. Now, I really wish we could be. But it's not going to happen in this lifetime. It'll happen when we get glorified in heaven, but not in this life. We should be getting ourselves more sanctified, more, more perfect with each passing year so that people look at us and say, oh, this person really seems to have it all together. And, you know, the world will look at you that way when you start walking with God. They'll look at you like, you know, usually that we're weird because we won't do what they do. But they also say, well, they're also not suffering the way we do. And it's kind of an interesting dilemma that they end up having with us because they're going, I want what they have, but I don't know that I could live it. Have you ever witnessed to somebody that go, well, I just can't be like you. I can't, I can't give up all this stuff. And, and my answer to that is, you, then who's asked you to? Well, isn't that what being a Christian is? I go, no, becoming a Christian is repenting of your sin and turning to Christ, and he'll work out the rest of it. You probably, you know, I, I want to tell him, you probably will give it up down the road, but he's not saying you must give it up. He doesn't want to 
to be a Christian, there's going to come a time when you want to give it up if you're following with God. And, you know, and that's, the, that's the neat thing. You want to. I want to get into God's word. I want to spend time with him in prayer. I want to come to church. Not that I must, but I want to come to church. And that is when it, things start changing and people see the difference. You know, I've heard people go, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be at church tomorrow, so I'm going to be here. Okay, wonderful. I'm, I'm really glad you're going to be here because you must be here. But if God doesn't want you here, then I don't want you here in reality. You know, if you're, if you're here only because you think you must be here, you're here for the wrong reasons. You have to say, I want to be there. I want to hear God's word. I want to be with God's people. Now, Hebrews does say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. So God wants us to meet together. Very much so because we need each other to grow. We need to hear God's word. We need to spend time with one another and learn. But if you're here only because you feel, I'm going to go to hell if I don't go to church, well, you might as well stay home because you're going to go to hell anyway. <laughs> if your whole life is based on I can go into heaven because I went to church, you're, you're not going to earn heaven. So you might as well just stay home and have fun doing whatever it was you wanted to do instead. Because it's all about Jesus. It really is all about Jesus. And we need to make sure people understand that. Good works are not going to get them into heaven. Coming to church is not going to get somebody in heaven. Reading the Bible is not going to get somebody into heaven. Now, it's a good way to get there because you read God's word. But it's not going to get you there. You know, these other things may help you get there once you make the decision to follow Christ to get you there. But they're not going to get you to heaven in and of themselves. So all these things we don't necessarily mean in your Right. Uh, Greg Glory has said the easiest place to get a hard heart toward God is in church. Because you get to hear all about God. You get to hear about what God's doing. You get to hear the gospel message. And if you reject it often enough, you're going to get a hard heart toward God. And, you know, and this is one of the things I've said before is that I would rather somebody stay out in the world and get really lost than to think they're doing spiritual things and not be following God because they're very hard to reach. Somebody who is a good person in quotes is very hard to reach because they don't see their need for God. It's much easier to reach the person who knows they're a liar, who knows they're a, a dirty rotten sinner and knows that they deserve hell because they already know that they deserve punishment. They are, they are ready to hear the gospel of Christ. That good person who goes, may go to church you know, once or twice a year, doesn't go out drinking and carousing, doesn't, has never had an affair, is not, is not an adulterer or a fornicator, uh, you know, basically tells the truth, goes to work, thinks they're a good person. And they have a hard time with the whole idea of needing Christ because in their mind they don't. And we need to be able to understand the message is that we got to tell them and convince them that they're a sinner. Because they're all sinners and everybody knows they're a sinner deep down, but some people just think they're good. But even Christians sometimes can get that idea. I've followed God for so long. God, I, you know, God you're lucky to have me. I, I don't lie and steal and, and I'm a great example at work and I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray. God, you are just so lucky to have me in this world, so lucky that I'm your great, greatest uh, testimony before you and then when they look down on people that are lost 
And that's a dangerous place to be as well. You know, we've got to be careful that somehow we don't think that our sin doesn't stink as bad as somebody else's sin. Because it does. It's just as bad. Matter of fact, our self-righteousness is worse than their, in one sense, than their sin. And this is what the scribes and Pharisees were. They were loading on all these rules and then trying to find loopholes so that they didn't have to do them because they knew the rules well enough to know all the back doors as they piled on all these rules on you and then they didn't follow the rules that they're telling you you had to follow. And they, they laid in, and I love this, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You know, they won't, they, they're putting a heavy burden on your shoulders, but they won't even touch the, these rules with, with a finger. And, uh, and then verse five, but, and this means something's changing, all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the uppermost rooms of feasts and the chief seats in the synagogue and the greetings in the marketplace and to be called Rabbi, Rabbi. It says everything that the scribes and Pharisees are doing, they're doing to be seen. And basically Jesus is saying at home they're not doing any of the stuff you're seeing them do. That is definitely not the way you want to live as a Christian. And I've, I've shared this. I've, I have worked with kids for 30 years, and the things you'll hear kids say about what goes on at home with their parents that are, that are very strong-appearing Christians, you have to stop the kids so often and say, no, we're not going to go there. Uh, I've heard things about pastors that you wouldn't want to and you, before you could even stop the kids, you know, because you would be talking about, so that's not what my dad does at home. Uh, but this is what he's t talking about the scribes and Pharisees. Out in public, they appear all pompous and religious and, and good, but when they're at home, they're a whole nother story. And he goes, you want to be seen. They make broad their phylacteries. Does anybody remember what a phylactery is? Yeah, the thing where you could read the verses. Well, no, you couldn't even read them. They were a box. They were a box with scripture in it that you strap to your forehead. Uh, it comes from Exodus 13, 16, where God says, bind the word of God on your, on your forehead and your hearts. And they took it literally. They would take the word of God, put it in a box, and bind it to their head. Now, I don't think that that verse was to be taken literally. I think God was saying, put his word on your brain and think it out, not just strap it on your forehead. Okay? Uh, but they took it literally, and he goes, you make really big boxes. And they had this idea that the bigger your phylactery was, the more spiritual you were. So if you really wanted to be spiritual, you go put a yard-long phylactery on your, and knock everybody in the head as you're walking down the, down the road. Uh, so he says, you're making big phylacteries, thinking that you're being spiritual. And then he goes, and you enlarge the borders of your garments. And this one, you, I don't know if any of you remember the, this particular reasoning on this one. Does anybody remember this part? Exactly. Yes, Deuteronomy, excuse me, Numbers 15. We'll actually go there on that one. Many people have heard phylacteries, and we spent, we spent some time on this when we were going through the book of Numbers. Uh, Numbers chapter 15, starting at verse 38. 
Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringes and borders a ribbon of blue and it shall be unto you a fringe and you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and they and and that they seek not after your own heart or your own eyes which you use to go a whoring and what they would do at the bottom of their garments and this is even on their prayer shawls they would put these little fringes and can anybody give me a guess of how many fringes you would have on your garments? 613. 613. You were to remember the commandments of God. So there were 613 fringes, and they were knotted in such a way that they could actually feel the Hebrew letters upon the fringes and remember the law. So these are things they were told to do. Bind the, bind the word of God on their foreheads, which I think literally meant that they were to memorize it rather than stick it in the forefront, you know, in a box. And they were to put the commandments on, on their garments so they would remember them. Yeah, my translation here says it makes the, the, the tassels long. Did the length of the tassels have anything to do, do with it? In, G, in Jesus' day, the longer your tassel, the more spiritual you were. Again, he's saying... You're doing a show of things. So that instead of having just a little little tassel on the bottom of your garments, they would make these really long tassels on their garment and it was to say, look how spiritual I am. I've got, I've got a one foot and somebody else, well, I've got a foot and a half. You know? In most cases, the, the longer or bigger something is, the more ornate it appears and the more uh, good, it, you know, good it's supposed to be. The, the bride with a, the train, some people, some people have a little short train on it, you know, just because it's a decorative and others will have this, you know, let me show you how really important I am and it's, it's still, the end of it's still sitting at the end of the church while they're at the front, you know, it's, yeah. Um, but in this case, it was this whole idea that God's saying, you're making a show. I told you to do these things and you're trying to make a show out of it and it's not real to you. You're forgetting that the tassels were, were there to remind you of, of the commandments of God. And you're forgetting that I wanted you to know my word and obey it, not just, not just wear it in as big a phylactery as you could possibly find. And so Jesus is criticizing them. That, and people are looking at, oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I, I, I know Pharisee so-and-so with his great big box and his long tassels, and, and he's not but he doesn't have a good reputation out other than walking around. So Jesus is putting this in there. These guys are telling you to do things, but they're not living out life. And that living out our life is the most important part. You know, if all you're going to do is follow two or three rules of God, follow two or three rules of God good or well, rather than trying to follow hundreds of things poorly. And this is something that's very important for us. God is working in our life to make changes that are permanent and complete and he's not going to lay on us a burden that is so bad that we can't keep it he's not going to dump all 613 commandments on you in one night and say okay obey everything goodbye <laughs> yeah he teaches us slowly and this is why i say we learn slowly and over years we get better at obeying him and following him then in verse 6 he goes they love the uppermost feast rooms at the feast or the or the dais. They wanted to get up on the dais of, the, of it and be the person that sits in the front, be on the head table. If they, can't, if they didn't deserve the head table, they wanted to be on the table right in front of the head table. And 
You know, because they love that. They want to be seen. They want to be seen as somebody special. And they want the chief seats in the synagogue. And this is kind of an interesting thought. The, the chief seats of the synagogue, the very, front, the very front rows or the rows on the side where everybody saw, hey, you were there. In the early day of the Protestant movement, you stood in church unless you were rich enough to buy a seat. And the seats were up front where everybody would see you. You know, so you would end up buying these seats, and that's how the church raised money, it's been during the, especially during the Middle Age, you know, late Middle Ages and onward. The, the, you bought your pew. You know, literally, when you came in, you said, you're sitting in my seat. You meant you were sitting in my seat. And the, rich, the seats the closest to the front or to the side where people, if you've got to remember, in the early days, the, the seats ran along the side of the churches in a lot of cases, and they were the prominent ones. And though we went for a lot of money, especially the front side pews. I don't know if any of you have any of you been on an east or seen a seen a old old the family pews, but the design of the church was totally different. You you had pews that ran down the sides of the church and in and up the centers in the old old churches, and the church and the and the pews on the front side were the most expensive ones because everybody saw you there. Okay, you dressed nicely. They, they were your seat. Everybody would know you were in church. This is the kind of thing he's saying. The scribes and Pharisees wanted the, the best place. They wanted people to know they were in church, in the synagogue. People know when you're not in church, too. Well, that's true, too. If you're going to do that, you better be there. So they would love to be in the chief seats in the feast, the chief seats in the, in the synagogue. And then in verse 7, it says, and they loved the greetings in the marketplace and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So in other words, they want to go, whenever they're seen, they want to be addressed. You know, and you see this double Rabbi, Rabbi is, you know, a very strong. And Rabbi literally means teacher or master. So they're wanting that recognition. Here's, here's the teacher, here's the master. I've met pastors who demand to be called pastor. Or worse yet, if they have a doctorate, demand to be called doctor. You know, and it's like, you either deserve the title or you don't deserve the title. If you deserve it, that's fine. People will call it, will automatically call you that title. And if you don't, demanding it's not going to mean anything. They may give you it, but it won't mean anything to them. And he goes, they love to hear it. They love to hear that honor and title because it puffs them up. And that's why, you know, People are like that. I've got, there's people out at the prison who have, have doctorates and everything. And yes, I understand that they've earned them and everything. And they all want to be called doctor, you know, you know. And it's like, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not impressed with it. But if that's what you have to be called, you know, great. The, the way I've said it, Seinfeld, one of the characters, he led an orchestra, but he, he always insisted that be called yeah. maestro. Yeah. Even, in, even like if they're in a pizza place, you know, or something <laughs> But that's not an uncommon thing for people that have a title to want that title to be used all the time. And, and one, on one hand, I understand it. They've worked hard to earn it. But if you have to demand it, there's something wrong. You know, uh, if it's something that you just want to give to somebody because it's deserved, and, and, that, and that's one thing. But to demand it is a whole other thing. And, you know, and he says in, in verse 28, but you call, be not, but be you not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ and all your brethren. And in this, he's not saying that you can't have the title, but he's saying you're not going to demand it because there really is only one 
Lord and teacher, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and teacher, but that doesn't mean that we can't call other people by, you know, by a title because they're the under-shepherds. But he says, don't seek it. Don't seek it out because the real master and teacher is him. And this is what's important. If somebody is teaching and being a good teacher, being a good shepherd, I have no problem calling a man pastor or teacher if they really deserve it. They're the under-shepherd to Jesus and deserve it. I have no problem with it. Now, when somebody tells me, you must call me pastor, then I have another problem with it. I, have a, I go to another area like, uh, are you deserving this title? I don't know. If you're telling me I must call you that, you've got a problem. And I think a pastor, a good pastor, should be called pastor or teacher. If they really deserve it and are care for their people, that's not a problem. They should, they should get that title of respect. But to demand it's another story altogether. And, uh, and this is what Jesus is saying. You've only got one Lord and Master. Don't, don't be looking to get that. Verse 9 says, And call no man father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. And this does not mean you don't go to your dad and call him father. <laughs> okay, This is more of the Middle Eastern Orient's penchant for referring to any elder as father. Okay, It was a term of honor and respect. And if you've watched anything like... Uh, Aladdin or any of those Middle Eastern shows, you'll hear somebody refer to somebody as father. Even though they're not related, but it is an elder who's old enough to be a father, who is a respected person, and they will call them father. And it's not, and he's basically saying, you know, again, he's you're taking this in context. Who is he talking to? These self-righteous scribes and Pharisees who, wanting, who are wanting these kind of titles. And he says, don't, you've only got one father, and it's God in heaven. Don't be calling all these people these titles that they're basically demanding. They wanted to hear that. They, were, they needed, they didn't even just want it. The scribes and Pharisees needed to hear these titles. They needed to sit up front and know that they were special, that people thought they were special. They needed to be recognized with the big phylacteries and the fringes on their garments and saying, oh, look how spiritual this guy is. Because that was what their soul needed. They, they needed to hear all these things. They weren't humble enough to live the way God wanted them to live. And Jesus is saying, it's only God you're standing and following before, not all these individuals. You're not looking to really work at teaching them, but humble yourself. And this is, so he's looking at this and saying, and then in verse 10 he goes, neither calm uh, be you called masters, for there is one master, even Christ. So again, he's going through this whole process. Christ is the true master. He is the master. And titles really should not mean that much as we're going about. Uh, and I've seen, I've seen people who didn't care, and they got the titles. And I've seen people who tried to demand them, and people kind of choked on the titles as they said it. And, but he's saying... This is what, and then in verse 11 he goes, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And this is what true leadership is, and we've all seen it maybe in, in your, in your work, even in the workplace. You know, the hardest bosses to work for are those that tell you what to do but don't do anything. They sit in their office and point to everything and say, go do, go do, but they've never lifted a finger to help somebody 
And nobody really wants to work for that kind of boss. And you get somebody who can go out there and they'll help you, they'll, they'll show you how to do it. Doesn't mean they're gonna be out there every single time you work, but you know that if, if you really need their help, they're gonna be out there to do it. Or if, if you're not, if you're gonna be a really obnoxious person, they don't need you, they'll just come and do your job for you instead and get rid of you because <laughs> you're not needed if they have to do your work. That's what, that's what I used to tell my employees. If I have to do your work, which I can, you're not needed. So you decide to do your work while I go do my work. <laughs> and but Jesus saying, the servant, a pastor is to be the servant of the church. He's not somebody who stands up there and says, okay, you all just do this for me and do this for me and do this for me. He's to serve just as Jesus did. You know, on the upper room, when he, when he took and washed the apostles' feet, you know, it doesn't mean as much to us. We don't really understand it, but we've talked about this being that that job was the job that you gave your most inept, incompetent servant. They washed the people's feet as they came in the house. Okay, you can't get this wrong. All you got to do is put some water on their feet, wipe it down with a towel. You know, uh, it was the job that you gave to the lowest of the low, which is why Peter kind of got upset. Oh, you're not watching my feet. You know, you, I, you know, basically saying, you know, you're too good to be washing my feet. So, you know, and Jesus saying, no, we serve. We serve one another. We help each another. And there's lots of churches that make a big deal out of foot washing and everything. But in our day and age, it doesn't mean near the same thing. I would rather see somebody that says, you know, I'll go clean the toilets <laughs> than make a big deal out of washing feet or something because it doesn't mean anything to us. The washing of the toilets or cleaning out the septic system or something would be more the job that would be related to the washing of the feet in, in their day. You know, the dirty job that nobody wanted to do, that you just, anybody could do and they just assigned it to them. But he says, you, if you're going to be the greatest, serve. Those who want to be first in the kingdom of God need to be last on earth. And, you know, I've seen people do really strange things to be last. I've, I've seen people who will not be the first in line at a, at a potluck. They've got to be the last person so that they'll be last. Uh, you know, and if they're doing it with the right heart, that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, if it's to do be showy and try to, try to be the last, it's not, it's not there. You know, I, I usually go last because I want to make sure everybody has plenty of food before I, before I start even eating because I want to make sure if there's not enough of something, they get it. And it's my heart that they're going to get whatever's best up there. You know, not because I'm trying to be, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm the last one to go through. You know, I'm doing it because I want people to have that chance to get whatever's there. Because I got plenty of food. I can get, I can get food at home if, I, if we run out. It's not a big deal. But, you know, he's saying, are you the servant? Are you willing to serve others or are you somebody that must be served? And in our day and age, many churches, people go, well, I'm just, my needs just aren't being met by that church. Well, if you just gave a little bit of yourself to the church, maybe your needs would be, fed, would be filled as well. Because that's what he says in verse 12. If you are, try to exalt yourself, you will be abased. You will be humbled. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. And one thing about true servant individuals is they end up getting more recognition than they want. I hate recognition in many cases and I've had recognition because I've done things and it's like why? I'm not doing it for the recognition. I'm doing it to make sure 
things get done. Now, in the business world, you get recognized for what you do, and that's part of the, the world. Uh, I had a pastor one time that recognized, called me up to recognize me with a, you know, in front of the church, and I'm going, I really got mad at him later. I'm going, I'm not doing this stuff to be recognized. Those who know what I'm doing know what I'm doing, and those who, that it's not important don't need to know. And it's very important. We're not serving God to be exalted, and yet we will get exalted when we serve. It's kind of a, one of those funny things. Almost everything in the Bible seems to be backwards from the world. The, the world will say, if you really want to be exalted, go out and do lots of things and make sure everybody sees you. And you think about the actors and actresses and, and, and uh, athletes and everything, that everywhere they go, the paparazzi around them, and they make a big deal that they're not wanting them, but they're probably the ones that called them to let them know where they were going. So they would be seen. You know, I'm, I'm going for the food bank. Come and get your pictures of me feeding the poor and building this up into a big thing and saying they're not caring about the poor at all. They're saying, give me an opportunity to make it look like I'm caring. And what's very important is to serve just because it's before God. And unfortunately, many people will notice and you'll get recognition at times. <coughs> but he says here, you know, be a servant, servant leadership. Just like Jesus, he served the people. You know, he told the disciples, come, let these children come to me. Because and you've got to think about this. In Jesus' day, children were not to be, you know, well, you know, just 100 years ago, children were to be seen and not heard. Well, in Jesus' day, children weren't even supposed to be seen. You know, you knew you had children, but you weren't supposed to see or hear from the children at all. They were to be kept away from the adults. So these people bringing their children to see Jesus violated the, the regular codes of that day. And the disciples are saying, oh, Jesus is too busy for these children. You know, you know, don't you know you're supposed to have left your kids at home? And Jesus said, bring these kids. Bring these kids to me. I want to touch even the kids. Not not being so high and, you know, staying above them. Being a servant. Washing the disciples' feet. You know, after his resurrection, when he appears to Peter on the, on the, on the seashore after, after Jesus, and he calls Peter, and Peter comes to him, what was Jesus doing? He was frying the fish. He was making breakfast for the apostles. Still serving them. Even though he's now resurrected, he's still serving the disciples. You know, and we think about this. In each of the stories that, that we see, great people, they're servants. They're trying to serve people, and they're raising, being raised up in the process of serving. So the encouragement for us is always, are we trying to serve others, or are we looking to be served? And if we're looking to be served, everything is not worth anything. People may serve you. If, you. if you're looking for it, they may serve you, but they're not serving you out of the right heart. They're not serving you out of the right attitude. But when you're serving others, oftentimes you'll get served back in return. And it's special at that point because people are wanting to do it. You know, they, they want to give you the title. They want to give you the honor. They want to help in whatever way they can. And it's so important that we look at this because Jesus is stating be the servant one of another. And he told the disciples when he washed their feet, if I, your master, have washed your feet, you go out and do the same. 
And he wasn't literally just saying, go wash people's feet. He was saying, be their servant. Whatever it was they needed, reach out and help them. Do what, do what you can to serve one another and not trying to exalt yourself. All right, verse, starting at verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer them to, that are entering in to go in. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and, and for a pretense make long prayer before, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you compass the sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, whosoever, I'm going to stop there for a moment. We're going to, let's go in a different attitude. <laughs> His title for them here is, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And hypocrites literally is that idea of two-faced or play actor. And it comes from the Greek uh, theaters where people sat so far away you could never see their face. So what they would, actors would do is have these great big masks that would say, big smiley face, I'm happy, or a sad face, I'm, I'm sad, or an angry face. So the person sitting way up at the top of the, the theater would see your facial Express your, your 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 facial. We do it in comedy theater. The comedy and tragedy uh, masks are part of this thing. He goes, "You scribes and Pharisees are like these actors with their masks in front of them. You know, you're showing one thing and doing another." He goes, "You have shut up the kingdom of heaven, but you're not even going there yourself." <laughs> You put all these rules that we talked about earlier on them, you're, buying, you're piling rules on them and keeping them from going, and you're not even going yourself. And this is the scary thing in our day. There are many churches out there with pastors, quote-unquote pastors, that are teaching all kinds of rules and regulations to follow God, and their people aren't going to make it into heaven because all they're trying to do is good works, and they're not probably going to heaven either because... Otherwise, they would be teaching God's grace and mercy and, and the love of God. And we see them. We see them on the TV sometimes. We see, you know, if you go around churches, you'll see them. And this is exactly what they were doing. You're shutting it up. You're making it so that others cannot. You're putting obstructions in front of people. And James tells us that teachers are doubly accountable for what they teach. And that's what Jesus is saying in here when we see this twofold idea. You're keeping others from doing it, and now you're going to be doubly punished for what you've done. And James says, many of you ought not to be teachers, for the greater condemnation is to those that teach. And I've met some people that definitely shouldn't be teaching, because they teach things that lead people astray, and they're going to be held in a greater accountability. And to be a teacher is an awesome responsibility before people, because you're sitting there, when you teach, you better be right. <laughs> especially if you're teaching children. For me, the most important person I can have is who is teaching children. Because if you give the children the wrong starting place, they may never learn the, other, the right teaching until many years later if they get a good teacher, and even then they may not learn. And I've met many adults where I teach something, go, well, that's not what I learned in Sunday school. I'm going, well, I'm sorry, you learned wrong, especially if it's a serious issue. I've heard some people say, well, God doesn't love you when you do that. 
God still loves you. He may not like what you're doing, but he still loves you. He's always going to love you. And if you tell somebody that God doesn't love them when they're misbehaving, then their picture of God is very skewed because they're not going to come to God because he doesn't love them when they're, in, when they're a sinner, and he does love them when they're a sinner. John 3.16, For God so loved the world when we were his enemies that he gave his only begotten Son. He's always loved the world and always will love the world. Even when they stand at the white throne judgment and have to go to hell, he's still going to love them. And he's going to break his heart to give them what they asked for, which was hell. They rejected Jesus Christ. They asked for hell. He's going to give it to them. And it's going to break his heart to have to send them there for eternity. That's his great love. Now, he doesn't always like what we do. <laughs> And, I, and I, tell, I, I used to line on my kids once or twice, you know, I, I love you with all my heart, but I really don't like what you're doing at this moment. <laughs> you know, and this is the way God looks at us. He's always going to love, always. And we need to make sure people understand that when they're in the pit of their despair, God loves them and is waiting for them to repent and turn back to him. And as soon as they repent and turn back, he's going to lift them up out of that pit, clean them up and put them back where they belong. But while they're not repenting, he's just going to leave them there. Wallow around for a while until you're ready to repent. And then he says, where do you, in verse 13, where do you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you devour widows' home houses, and for pretense make long prayers, therefore you shall receive greater damnation. And here he's putting a contradict, a side-by-side -side comparison. You're not helping the widows at all. You know, the widows and the orphans, that's the one people we're supposed to help to the best of our ability as Christians. He goes, you're not helping them. You're devouring whatever they have. You're taking whatever you can from them, even though they don't have anything. And then you stand on, you stand on the street corners making long prayers. And I love this. A, for a pretense is what it starts with. A pretense, pretending. Have you ever heard in some church somebody make this long-winded prayer and they go on and on and on and on and you start wondering, are they like this at home? Are they like this when they're praying with God in the morning and at night? Or is it just, thank you, God, good night? <laughs> you know, but when they were standing in front of the crowd, oh, mighty, merciful Father of heaven, we adore you with all of our hearts. You know, and I've heard these prayers from people. And sometimes I know that they're very honest people saying them, but it's like, quit trying to show off. Just say a prayer. Just say a prayer. Don't be showing off you know, all the words and, and titles that you can think of God. And you know, We don't need a 50-minute prayer. <laughs> uh, but he's saying, you're doing it in pretense. You're doing it to make yourselves look good, like you're really praying to me at... And it says, you will receive greater damnation. You didn't take care of the widows, but you made people think that you were somebody that prayers, prays a lot. So we want to keep this in, in context because he's not saying the, bad, the long prayer was bad. But he's saying, when you tie that up with you're hurting the widows, you know, in the physical, everyday action, you're hurting the widows, and then you're trying to make it look like you really honor God, there's a problem. And... We need to keep this in mind. We need to be helping one another. Again, it goes back to the serving one another. What can I do to help somebody else? Now, does that mean we can meet everybody's needs out there? Absolutely not. We can't meet their needs. And sometimes it's not good to help people with their needs. You know, because it, if you're enabling them bad lifestyle, 
it's not helping them. Uh, when I was working on a benevolence committee, there was a family that was made very little money and probably needed help, but they wasted so much money that the committee wouldn't help them. And it was a wise thing because they took what little funds they had and wasted the little funds and then came to you saying, well, I'm out of money, I need. Well, what about the $150 you wasted over here on, on taking care of these things? That would have bought a lot of the stuff you're asking us to do. Get your life in order and then we can help you meet the rest of your needs. And we had another guy come and say, you know, well, I need help. And I go, well, why don't you sell one of your four bike, uh, uh, motorbikes? Well, no, these are my playthings. I can't have them. I go, then you don't need our help. You know, uh, you've got plenty of play toys. Sell some of them. And if you don't have anything to sell, then we might be able to look and say, you need help. You know, and it's quite an interesting place. You want to help people, but you can't be helping them to the place of letting them keep living a bad lifestyle in the process. And then in verse 16 is where we'll end. Woe to you, you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. And this basically saying, you go around the world to make a proselyte, and a proselyte is a convert. In their, in their case, convert to Judaism. And you'll hear this, you know, a lot of times Christians will, in some countries, will go into jail because of proselyting, uh, especially in Muslim countries, if you convert a Muslim to Christianity, you can go to jail because you're breaking their laws. But he goes here, you go around the world to find somebody to proselyte, change from a Gentile into a Jew. And then it says, and when you have made one, you pile on so many rules and make them so much worse than you, or at least as bad as you, and it makes you twofold, two times more worthy of judgment. Again, we go back to this idea that the teacher is going to carry more punishment than the per people they teach. And the sad thing about a teacher leading somebody astray is that person goes astray and it's your fault. You led them astray. Now, it doesn't take the responsibility off of them either. Remember, I've told everybody, I want everybody to be good Bereans here. I want, whatever I teach, I want you to go to the Word of God and say, does what I've just heard match up to God's Word? And the, the term Berean comes from when Paul praised the Bereans for going out and searching the Scriptures to prove what he said. And you've got to think, this is Paul. He wrote most of the, most of the New Testament. And he's praising them for going out and checking what he's, what he's teaching to make sure it's accurate. Always, always go back to the Word of God and check out what's, be, what's being taught to you. Because hopefully you're following a teacher who's not going to lead you astray on purpose, but it's awfully easy to say something that is not correct as well. And it's also easy to hear something wrong. When, when I would go to a pastor, having heard something, I would usually approach them in this way. Pastor, I thought I heard you say this. Is that, did I hear correctly? Putting it on myself that I probably heard incorrectly. And sometimes it was me who heard incorrectly. Or he, he, I had one pastor who goes, if that's what I said, I really didn't mean to say that. And I'm going, well, I kind of figured that. I just, that's what I heard. And it's very important. We check out what's being said and look and say is it biblical 
Now, sometimes you, you're going to know it's, if you're in God's word well enough, you're going to know that it's biblical when it's said. You're going to go, okay, never heard that, but it really has the ring of truth. Other times it's like, well, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to go, go check it out. And the more we know God's word, the easier it is for us to be able to hear that and say, oh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Uh, if you listen to a lot of Christian radio or a lot of Christian TV, you need to be able to do this exact thing of being able to check out what's being taught. Ask the Holy Spirit, let me know whether it's right or wrong. One experience I had, I was listening to, a, to the Christian radio, kind of in the background, I really wasn't even listening, and all of a sudden alarm bells went off in my head, and I'm going, what did that guy just say? And I started listening, I'm going, whoa. And I stopped listening to that particular show on that particular half hour because that guy was way out, out there. But the Spirit was already saying, Pay attention to what's going into your mind. And it's very important that we feed ourselves with good, sound doctrine. Because if you start getting any bad doctrine in your head, that doctrine can be built upon real easy. Very important to make sure you're going into the scriptures and saying, is this correct? Is it right? Is it the, what God teaches? Because if it's not, we need to be careful with it. And there's certain things that are not that big a deal. We, you know, it's, you know, uh, they're not salvation issues and they're not going to lead them down the wrong path. And then you go, okay, you know, is this a, something I'm going to leave the church over because it's I, that important to me? Or can I just let it, let it go? And there's, you know, this happens in several things that we look at. And there's people who will fight tooth and nail for certain doctrines that make no sense to me. You know, it's like, okay, it's, maybe it's important to you, but it's not important to me. But, you know, if it's important to you, good. <laughs> I'm happy for you. you know, and I'm sure there's places that I think something's very important that somebody else doesn't think is important. You know, and am I going to sit there and judge them because they don't agree with me? I've already told you all, I'm, you know, I don't expect anybody to agree with me 100%. If they did, there's a problem. You don't need me. <laughs> you, know, you don't need me to be teaching you if you're going to agree with everything I teach you because I don't want somebody to follow me like robots. I want people to be in God's word and if they find something that I'm teaching that they don't agree with, come and talk. Come and talk and we'll, we'll discuss it. Not necessarily going to change my mind and I'm not looking to maybe change your mind, but I will ask pointed questions of people because everything I believe, I have reasons for what I believe and I can tell you why I believe it and, and, and go through it. And I expect the same thing. If you're going to disagree with me, fine. But if you want to talk with me about it, make sure you know what you believe and why you believe it. Not going to say I'm going to agree with you, but I want to make sure that you know. You can defend what it is you believe because Peter says, be ready to give a reason for what you believe. And that's the most important thing we can do is be ready to give a reason. Right or wrong, know why you believe it. <laughs> and that you can able to say, this is why. This is why I won't do this or will we'll do this because this is what God says and this is what I believe he says. And then be ready to let people live and fall before God themselves. Tell them what you believe, why you believe, and then leave it there. You know, not going to go, well, you have to agree with me. You know, if you get that point, you're not serving people. <laughs> and you're trying to be God in their life. And you know, we as Christians try to be God in people's lives way too much. You know, especially husbands and wives. Let me be the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> yeah, and we as Christians do that a lot with one another. 
You know, if you, only, if you really only knew what God said, you'd be following this. You know, pray for somebody. Now, if they're living in sin or something, that's, an, that's one thing that you can gently go in. And as I've said many times, if you're not praying for somebody, you have no right to even talk to them about their sin because you don't love them enough to pray for them. You have no right to be talking to them about what they're doing wrong. Period. Now, if you're praying for them all the time and you're lifting them up before God, normally what you're going to find is God's going to change them or he's going to change you, one or the other. And I've shared with you many times, when I first got married, I used to pray that my wife would be changed and God kept changing me, so now I'm, now I'm just asking God to change me. Because that's all he ever did anyway. Now he may have just changed my attitude toward it, or he may have changed me, so I just started, to give, I just started praying, God, help me. You know, God, I'm concerned about this person, you know, but help me not to judge them in the process, but God work in their life. Now, I'm sure that God also changed my wife, but he changed me much more than I, than I ever remember him changing her. And for people in the church, I want to lift you all up. When I see things, I want to lift you up before God. And God will work on my life as well to say, you're going to love them in spite of what you're seeing them. And that's where love will change people. You know, we can pile the laws on as the Pharisees did, but the law never changes people. The law will make them rebellious. But if we love people and they know that we love them, they're slowly going to change. Not because, not because they even want to necessarily, but God will have a place to work in their life. And God's grace changes people. When they're not being criticized for what they do wrong and they're accepted and they start seeing that love and they feel God's presence, then God convicts them and they change and if they have Jesus Christ in them like they're supposed to as a Christian, they will change because he's in them. He will do the changing. And I love the fact that God changes us. And it's the picture that we've talked about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes in, baptizes us, and he changes who we are. And we've used the picture of the pickle. When the cucumber or the uh, cauliflower or whatever you're pickling is baptized or submerged in the, the vinegar... It does not do anything to become a pickle, except stay in the vinegar. The vinegar fills it up and changes its very texture, its very flavor, and that's what God does with us. He sticks us inside him, and then he changes us. <laughs> and you know, it's an amazing thing. We try so hard to follow rules, and we try so hard, and we try so hard, and we keep failing, and then, you know, a couple of years down the road, we look back and go, oh, I don't do that anymore, and I'm not even trying. It's God changing me from the inside out. And this is what he's trying to teach us. Be different. Be, let him uh, work with us. All right, we're going to stop there at verse 15. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and to, to just lift up your word. Lord, help us to learn to love one another and be servants. Help us to accept who you are and, and have you in our heart. And we just thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.